going to look in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. It was by pure, uh, by pure providence or coincidence, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Um, I was kind of looking through our scripture readings from November to try to figure out where we were in Ephesians and kind of found out we were uh, we were actually reading up to the very text that we are looking at this morning. So you got to uh, hear a lot of the context uh, this morning. That was not by design. Uh, once again, one of the ways that. Uh, our Lord just covers uh, your pastor's foolish mistakes. So, But Ephesians chapter 5, and if you are using the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can find that on page 1162. And a very short, just very uh, quick text that we're going to be looking at this morning, just to give us some reminders and some helps for the new year. It says, uh, beginning in verse 15, Paul instructs us through inspiration to look carefully then to how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I've never been much uh, of a bringing in the new year kind of guy. I've even when I was a kid, I didn't really go to New Year parties or anything like that. I mean, you've seen one firework display, you've kind of seen them all. And uh, I've, you know, one thing I do think would be really cool that I want to see are these drone shows that they're doing now. Have you seen videos of these? These things are awesome. And so I know they're doing them in Fayetteville, so I, I may try to get up there for July the 4th or something like that and see that. But uh, but anyway, I've just never been, uh, we talk about the ball being dropped, you know, uh, I think it's going to be dropped tonight in New York. I think it would be more interesting if every month on the first day of the month, a big crowd got together and watch it rise like one twelfth of the way. And, and then, you know, when he finally gets to the top, it just falls right back down. And, and then you have to, I think that's a better representation of what life is really like, don't you? <laughs> so uh, maybe that's just me. But anyway, I, I've just never really been much into it. New Year's resolutions. Uh, the new year reminds me that last year's resolutions are not done yet. And uh, I'm still kind of working on the ones that I made about five years ago. So uh, uh, one of our guys in Sunday school this morning said the exact same thing. He was like, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just sticking with the one I made about four years ago that I hadn't made yet. So, uh, so we're, we're still doing that. But, but one of the things that New Year's can do is that it can give us a time to reflect, looking at do we want to remain the same this year or do we want to grow or improve or, or do something to where next year I will be just a little bit different than what I am this year. And, and that's a good opportunity for us. It, 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 it presents us with a good uh, mentality, especially when you, especially when in Christ we understand that Christ, he finds us as we are, he invites us to come as we are, but he does not invite us to stay as we are, that there is a, a holiness process that begins the moment we're saved. New life does not begin at the moment we die, but it begins at the moment that we die in Christ, that, that, we, are, that we are redeemed and made a new creation and that we begin to walk in a different way and we begin to uh, experience a different kind of life. 
And so this morning, as we are looking at Ephesians, just to remind you that Ephesians is, is really perfectly divided up into two. Chapters one through three is the call of the church, and chapters four through six is the commission of the church. Or you could say the conduct of the church, or, or however you wanna say that. And we are right in the middle of that uh, as Paul is instructing the church at Ephesus, and this is probably a letter that, well, obviously through history it has, but even in its original writing, it's probably a letter that, that went to different kinds of churches all in, in, a, in an area. And, um, and as we look at this, we see that there are instructions that he gives, beginning with this great instruction of sanctification that we put off the old self, we are renewed in the spirit of our minds, and we put on the new self. And the entire rest, chapters four through six, are driven by that process of becoming holy in Christ. God is making us holy. But in the process, unlike justification, where we are completely um, inactive in that process, that is a work of God and God alone, but in sanctification, we participate in that process. There is real effort that is done. Even though God is the one who is making us holy, it is also, he is also doing so through obedience to the commands and the various things that he gives. And so this is a great kind of general, just umbrella principles that we can look at. Beginning in, in verse 15, he says, then look carefully how you walk. And I think that is a good way that we can bring in the new year that we are going to commit ourselves once again this coming year to, to be careful, to look carefully. There's, there's intentionality here, and we're gonna talk about that a little more, but there is, a, there is a sense in which we are taking it upon ourselves, the responsibility upon ourselves. We're not just giving it to God or letting go and letting God, but we are saying, I am going to carefully and be careful, look carefully to how I walk this year. And how do we do that? That's the question. And so he's going to define what it means to walk carefully. And he's gonna do so with these three kind of general principles that we find. And these are umbrella principles. It's very broad. We're, uh, we're, we're kind of painting with a broad stroke of a brush this morning. Uh, but it will hopefully just kind of engender some thoughts in your mind of how can I, what are certain areas that these principles apply to in my life where I, in my work, in my school, in my friendships, in my church, all of these things, hopefully these general principles will kind of help you zero in a little bit more than what we're able to do in a, in a, in a group such as this. And so we see uh, three of them is simply this, to walk wisely to walk redemptively, and to walk spiritually. Walk wisely, walk redemptively, and walk spiritually. Let's look at the first one together in verse 15. The first thing he says is, be, look carefully then to how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The, uh, the term there for wisdom is the term Sophia. I usually don't give a lot of Greek terms because uh, you don't really need to know that, but in this case, it kind of helps because it's the term that we get the word philosophy from. Uh, phila, meaning love, you know, Philadelphia, 
Philo Doe, maybe that's just me, not you, but um, Philadelphia, those kinds of things. And then uh, Sophia is wisdom. Philosophy means a love of wisdom. And I'm only telling you that because when we look at what it means to be wise in our culture, generally speaking, what most people think of is kind of this philosophical idea. Kind of, the, kind of the hermit who lives in a cave and he's the old wise sage and, and, uh, and people come from all places and hike up to the mountain to get to the cave to ask him wise questions to try to figure out the secrets of life. Uh, for instance, why do hot dogs come in packages of 10 and hot dog buns come in packages of eight? That is a deep secret of life that no one's ever been able to figure out. Why do you park in a driveway, drive in a parkway? You know, that kind of stuff. And so, and, and so the, uh, that's what we tend to think of, these kind of abstract kind of ideas that are, that are the wise secrets of life, but don't really make any real impact on the day-to-day life. That is kind of the Western idea of wisdom, but that is not what the Hebrews thought of whenever they thought of wisdom. In fact, uh, one way you can translate wisdom is skill. So skill for living, knowing how to live in the practical everyday life. And he's telling you, do not be, do not be unwise, but wisdom is having the skill to, to put into practice the things of Scripture. In other words, it's Bible application, applying the word. Maybe you've heard this before. It's an old saying that, that knowledge is what you know, obviously. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. It's kind of knowing what to do with what you know. And so, so wisdom in the biblical sense is essentially the same thing as what we talk about as Bible application. And what does this look like in the biblical life? How does this work in our sanctification? Well, it's easier to give you examples than it is to try to describe it. And so, for instance, you have the biblical command that we find in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, that says that like newborn babies long for the pure spiritual milk of the word by which you may grow up into your salvation. So every one of us in this room is commanded not to live by bread alone, but to live by the word of God, right? That is, that is a command that is universal. It is for every single person that ever lived. And my trust is, is that in this room that we are following that command. But how are you following it? For some of you, that means following, reading a Bible through the year format that, that you follow along. Others of you may be reading a chapter or maybe even just a paragraph a day, and you spend the time reflectively thinking about that paragraph, thinking about that chapter. Some of you are listening to the Bible on app or on CD. CDs are kind of outdated now, but uh, you're listening to the Bible on your, on your phone or on the internet or whatever. Let me ask you a question. Of those three, which ones are following the command? All three, right? And so the command is 
to not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Wisdom is how you choose to do that in a way that helps you. The command is universal, but wisdom is gonna be very personal. It's gonna look different for everybody, often. For some of you, you read through the scriptures and kind of to be familiar with the big story. So you follow the through the Bible in a year program. That's okay. Some of you read it chronologically. That's okay. Some of you read it cover to cover. That's okay. Others, you read maybe two or three verses a day and you really focus on them so that you can get the depth of that text. That's okay too. The bottom line is you're both obedient. You're both obedient. That's wisdom. Let me give you another example. Loving your wife. Oftentimes, I will have couples who are in, in distress or, couple or, or in, in uh, fighting, and, and we'll kind of work through all of that, and uh, we'll get to a point where I'll ask the husband, okay, husband, what are you gonna do this week? I'm going to love my wife more like Christ loves the church. Excellent. That's the command, right? Awesome. But how do you measure that? How do you measure that I love Roxanne 15% more this year than I did last year? I can't do that, can I? And so oftentimes I'll say, okay, you're gonna love your wife, great, but what are you gonna do? Um, well, she hates doing the dishes, so I'm gonna do the dishes for maybe three nights this week, divide and conquer. Okay, I'm going to take her out on a date night. Okay, I'm gonna do this or that, okay. You see, the command is to love your wife as Christ loves the church, but wisdom are the specific ways that you do that. Does that make sense? So another example. When I was in college, there was a book that came out called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. That book was the bane of my existence. I hated that book. Because every girl I would ask out on a date, she would say, sorry, I kiss dating goodbye. I think that was her way of just letting me down easy, but I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna choose to believe that it was because of that book. And by the way, even the author hates that book now, so that should tell you something. But, um, but there was this kind of movement that came out called Christian courtship. And for a while, everybody was saying that Western dating is bad and you shouldn't do this. You should practice Christian courtship, right? Well, let me ask you a question. What command does the Bible have for dating? One verse, two words, flee fornication. That's it. That is all the Bible says about dating. And if you have a young lady or a young man who is practicing Christian courtship and they are fleeing fornication, or if you have a young man or young woman who is practicing Western-style romantic dating and they are fleeing fornication, then who is following the biblical command? Both of them. You see, that's wisdom, right? That's wisdom. Think about all the fights in churches that are not over biblical commands, but are over matters of biblical wisdom. How we choose to pray together, how we choose to worship together, how we choose to preach the word, how we choose Think about all of the unnecessary arguments that happen between Christians over issues that are really not issues of sin, but are issues of wisdom.
This is freedom. When you recognize this, this is freedom. You have the ability to walk by faith and not by sight. This is an issue that we as church leaders, your pastors and deacons, that Sunday school teachers, that small group leaders, these are issues that we need to think about because think about this. How can I look at you and say, okay, you are 8% more like Christ this year than you were last year? I can't do that. There's no real way to quantify that. So what do we have to look at? We have to look at wisdom. Are you growing in wisdom in your life? That's what we're looking at. That's what we're looking for. And Paul says, do not walk as unwise, but as wise. We are talking about that. So, so how, do you, how do you get that wisdom? How do, how, do you, how do you develop it in your life? It is the product of the word and the product of prayer. But what is often the missing ingredient in our word and prayer is meditation, reflection on what you're reading, spending time to reflect on the word, spending time to reflect on the sermon, Sunday school lessons or small group discussions, looking for insight of how you can practically follow what's been talked about. And essentially, you're looking for two things. You're looking for um, you're looking for devotional insight, which is this is what the legalists miss. They're all about following the rules, but they forget about the love that it's supposed to come from. You're looking for devotional insight, but you're also looking for directional insight. How can I do this? And a great place to start to kind of build the skill is the one another commands. There's like 30 of them. And so, for instance, let's just take one. Welcoming one another as we have been welcomed in Christ. What's the, what's the devotional aspect of that? I kind of just gave it to you. That you and I have been welcomed into the kingdom of God through Christ. That you and I have been welcomed into the church, his body, his bride. That you and I have been welcomed into the family of God through adoption, right? But now here's another question. How can I fulfill becoming a welcoming person welcoming one another. What are, what are some practical ways? And, and by the way, feel free to speak up. What are, what are some practical ways that we can welcome one another? What are some things you can do? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Huh? Yeah, uh, signs of affection, you know? Yeah, what else? Reaching out to people in the week. Yeah, welcome them, welcoming them into your home and, and ministering to them in that way. What else? Getting to church a little bit early on Sunday morning so you can stand there and, and welcome people as they come in. Ask them how their day is. Don't, don't just settle for civilities, you know. Ask them, how, how's your day? How, how's your week been? Man, God is good, but I've been struggling. Pray for them right then and there. Just practical ways that we can welcome. What about our children? You know, sometimes in the church, we get this attitude that children should be seen and not heard. What an ungodly attitude. Ungodly attitude. 
We welcome children in our church and we don't mind the mess and we don't mind it being loud. One of the things I like to say, if there's no crying, your church is dying, right? So how can we become welcoming to our children? Welcoming to them, get to know them. Ask them what video game they're playing this week. Ask them, what, uh, ask them what's going on in their lives, their favorite subjects. What are they crocheting this week? Uh, those kinds of things. You know, just, just becoming a welcome person, a welcoming individual. What about at work? What about over the week? And this is how you reflect on Scripture to get directional insight where you can wisely apply the Scriptures in your life. You say, oh, that, that's just one verse. That's, two wor- that's three words. Welcome one another. Just think what you could do with the whole book, right? And so there's all kinds of things you can do. But the unwise person is the one who knows what they should do, but they don't do it. They know what they're supposed to do. And they just said, and, and oftentimes they'll say, amen, amen. And they don't do it. Not in any real practical sense. And so don't be unwise this year, but be wise. Think of practical ways to apply the scriptures. Make a plan to do it. And why a plan? Because that brings us into verse 16, that we are to come back here and he says that we making the best use of time because the days are evil. Some of your translations say redeeming the time. The, way it, the reason why it says that is because this term is a variation on the word redemption. It speaks of this term redeeming. But it, it's not in the same sense that you and I are redeemed in Christ. It's, it's not a salvation sense. But, but what it is, it's kind of like you would say, um, you know, that how can, you know, this is a really bad day, but, but the one redeeming quality is fill in the blank, Right? Or man, I really don't like my job, but I will tell you one redeeming quality of it is, you know, I get a paycheck or whatever, whatever it happens to be. So that's what, that's what we're talking about. Maybe you've heard the phrase before, when life gives you lemons, what do you do with it? You make lemonade, right? That, that is what we're talking about here. This sense of redemption is that you take whatever life throws at you and you use it to make the best of it for the glory of God. Wherever you happen to be living, whatever you happen to be doing, whatever you happen to be going through, you're looking at this and saying, okay, how can I honor Christ right where I am in this situation right now? You see, a lot of times what we tend to do, and this is, this is, just, this is just human, this is just our human weakness, but a lot of times we think, okay, when this is done, then I will spend the time to pray more, to worship Christ. When this uh, massive project that I have to do is over, or when this problem that I have is finally resolved, or when this stupid German test that I have to take is finally over, or, or whatever it is, when this is over, then I will then take the time to honor God with my time. And guess what? You'll never do it. You'll never do it. Because the very thing that God has brought into your life 
right now are the very things that he's using to draw you closer to him. Beloved, God is glorified in our weaknesses, not in our strengths. And so whatever it is that God brings into our life, we're looking at this and we're saying, I am going to make the most of it to the glory of God and to the transformation of my character into Christ-likeness. That's what it means. It requires wisdom. It requires wisdom. Why? Because the days are evil. You see, this involves an intentional choice on our part. We're not gonna do this naturally because the days are evil. When we stop being intentional in our Christian walk, we will naturally slide back into old habits, into old attitudes, into old emotions, basically our own ways. Have you seen these new cars that are out? Maybe some of you have them where they've got, man, they've got parking assistance. They've got adaptive cruise control, uh, collision avoidance, lane assist, smart parking, all of this where literally you can be driving down the road and you can just kind of read a book and the car just does all the work for you. Pretty cool. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. I think it was Leanne Rimes who sang Jesus Take the Will. In my mind, that's taking it a little too literally. <laughs> all right, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but, you know, oftentimes... Oftentimes, that's how we think of the Christian life. We get into Christian life cruise control, or we get into Christian life autopilot, and we're just going through the motions, we're just going through kind of the routines, and yet we're not really growing, or there's no real fruit that is being produced through it. And man, entire churches can do this. We've all walked into churches before where you walk in and, and the whole church just seems like it's on autopilot. That's a, it's on cruise control. And they're, they're going through the motions, but there's no love beyond civility. There's no fellowship beyond just, I mean, really just kind of bare minimums. Kind of like uh, some people will say in the army, strive to meet the minimums, right? And that's kind of the idea that a lot of churches get into. And that's what we don't want to do. If you go on autopilot in Christianity, if you go on autopilot in your Christian life or in the church and the mission of the church, that will bring about some very devastating effects in our life and in the life of the church. And so how do you redeem the time? And Paul gives us a, a little bit of help in this. There's a parallel passage in Colossians chapter four, probably just a few pages over for most of us. Colossians chapter four, in verses three through six. Here is, here is what he says. He Beginning in verse three, he says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word, there is intentional praying that we see here. How do you redeem? How do you make the most of the time? Number one, you've got to intentionally pray for it. Okay, Lord, this circumstance in my life, this fight I had with my wife this morning, this boss that has given me such a hard time, this car that keeps breaking down and the stupid check engine light keeps coming on like it did yesterday, 
giving you a little bit of insight into my week. Um, it's uh, this, uh, all of this stuff is going on. You've, I've got to intentionally pray, okay, Lord, how can I do the best of this? Maybe there's a mechanic at the shop that needs to be invited to church. And I didn't do it last time. So you know what? That check engine light popping on again, giving me another chance. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not. But I'm intentionally praying what is the best way that I can use this circumstance you brought in my life to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. By the way, was Paul in the best of circumstances at the moment? No, he was in prison. But look what he says, so that I may make it clear. How can I make the gospel clear to those people that I come into contact with every day? Or that I come into contact in my circle of influence? Walk in wisdom. There's that term wisdom again. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in wisdom. How, how can I practically apply the commands of Christ to those who are not in the church so that they will see Christ in me? And, no, and notice what he says here, here again, making the best use of time. It's the exact same phrase. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How can we season our speech so that it's used to build up one another instead of tearing one another down? These are all ways that, practical ways, to redeem the time. Each year, uh, Jonathan Edwards, who is the leader of the First Great Awakening the absolute best American theologian that America has ever produced. He wrote a track called The Preciousness of Time and the Importance of Redeeming It. I try to read this track every year. It's Jonathan Edwards, so that's not the easiest thing to do, but I do try to read it. Let me just give you some examples of things that he says. He says, because the, our use of time is preparation for eternity. Have you thought about this? The way you spend 2024 is preparing you for how you're gonna spend eternity. Are you using it well? Are you preparing yourself well? Our remaining time is uncertain. None of us know if we will live to see 2025. None of us know if we'll live to see January 2024. Our remaining time is uncertain. So we must redeem the time we have Beloved, there is always more money to make. There is always more things to get. But once you've spent time, it is never coming back. You cannot get it back. That's why I think there's such a fascination in science fiction with time travel, is that natural desire we have to want to go back and redo once you spend time, there is no more time for you. And so, and we are accountable to God for our use of time. God's going to ask us, how did you spend 2023? What did you spend most of your time doing? Who were you living for? Whose kingdom were you trying to build? And by the way, one, one other thing that Jonathan Edwards says is that the world is not conducive to using time well. The world makes profit 
from your distraction. And that was true in Jonathan Edwards' time. He had no idea about cell phones and social media. He had no idea. Do you realize that social, let me, let me just kick on this for a moment. Do you realize that social media, cell phones, they profit from your distraction? And they have algorithms, they have things in place designed to take you away from what you're doing and spend all of your time looking at that little screen. There's a great little rule of thumb, beloved, when it comes to social media. If you're not buying the product, you are the product. If you're not buying the product, you are the product. And they have this little profile of you set up and they are selling you to companies. And the more you give them, the more of a product you make yourself. And so just something to keep in mind here. I, I shudder to think how much time God is going to show me staring at a little screen, especially when there's so many more important things going on around. That's, a, that's a easy to get into because those phones are designed to do it to you. That is their purposeful design. And so it's so easy. It's so easy. Our world is not conducive to the right use of time. And so that's a little soapbox. My, my question really is this. How will God evaluate your use of 2024? How will God evaluate how you've used the time that he's given you. So what do we need to do? In verse 17, finally, this is kind of the overarching of it all. We are to walk spiritually. Walk in spiritual understanding. Therefore, it underlies it all. He says in verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There is so much that I could say here, but, but I, I wanna just kind of comfort you and give you a little bit of freedom that you can walk in this morning because a lot of people try to, they take a verse like this that is a kind of a general principle. Paul really doesn't define it or anything. And so they take a verse like this and they make God's will out like it is this super secret kind of thing that you have to be really spiritual or you have to be really on top of things in order for God to reveal it to you. You know, you, you, God, you just, we, we, we wait in anticipation and one day God's gonna zap us and let us know this is my will. Beloved, I have counseled people who have heard from teacher after teacher that God has some amazing, huge design or huge ministry for their life, and it's always just around the corner. It's always just around the corner. I just gotta pray a little more fervently. I've got to, you know, in some cases, give a little bit more. Imagine that. I've got to uh, do a little bit more. And they live in constant fear that if I don't get my life in line, I'm going to miss God's best for me. Living in constant fear of that. Beloved, God does not play games with our lives. Do you know that? God does not play games with your lives. And if there is any one text that I could show you to bring you comfort, it is Deuteronomy 29, 29. 
And I asked Mark to put this on the board for me. It says that the secret things belong to Yahweh our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Do you see that? Do you realize that most of the time when we are trying to figure out what is God's will, what is God's will, what is God's will, what is it we're looking for? We're looking for the secret things that belong to God and God alone. And do you know when God makes that known? Through history. That's why we call it his story. God makes his secret will known through history. And there is one exception to that, and that is biblical prophecy. One exception to that. You say, well, what does that have to do with me then? How do I get to it? Easy. You follow his revealed will because that's what he's given you. That's what he's given us. That has been given to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. Beloved, here's the point. God and his providence is in control of everything. He is in control of it all. We were looking at the book of Esther this morning, a book that doesn't even say the name God. There's no mention of prayer. There's no mention of covenant. There's no mention of any of these great theological themes in the Old Testament. None of them are in the book of Esther. And yet one thing we do see working out over and over and over again is God's providence behind the scenes. God's providence behind the scenes. That's what we see in the book of Esther. And beloved, in the same way, in our very own lives, God's providence is always at work in your life. So don't worry about the secret things. God's got that. You worry about following the revealed will of God. And where is that found? Right here. And trust me, there is plenty here to keep us busy for a lifetime. Remember how much we got just from one command, welcoming one another? Remember how much we got from that just a few minutes ago? That was just three words out of this book. There is plenty here to keep us busy for our entire lives, and it is completely sufficient to make you like Christ for everything you need for life and godliness in this world. You don't have to try and treat God's will like the super secret thing that unless I am completely 100% got everything in order, somehow I'm going to miss it. You don't have to live in that fear. You don't have to live under that constant pressure. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness in this world and the next. This is true freedom. This is walking in wisdom. I'm not walking around all the time thinking, well, did I get this decision right? Or did I get that decision right? Or did I do this? Or did I do that? You don't have to do that. You are exactly where God intends for you to be right now at this very moment. And all the things he has brought into your life, he has brought to bring you to this moment so that from this point forward, you will continue on or maybe begin at the first to start to live a life that is more and more reflective of Jesus Christ. That's God's plan for you. Simple, to be conformed into the image of Christ. And everything that he brings in your life is for that purpose. 
And so what do we do with New Year's resolutions? Make them. Don't make them. That's a wise thing. Not gonna, not gonna tell you one way or the other to do that. But maybe as a result of this sermon, if some of you are even making resolutions right now, I'm, I'm gonna do this a little more. Let me, let me encourage you. You're thinking of big commitments. You're thinking of maybe rededication, your life, or, or some of the ways that we've been kind of taught to think over the years. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, focus on the little moments. Focus on this afternoon. Focus on every little insignificant moment because all those little insignificant moments add up to a significant life. Life is lived in the little moments, in the little decisions. At the most, most of us are gonna have two or three big decisions throughout our lifetime. But we have thousands of little decisions every single day. And that's where true godliness is formed. You know, it's the old Chinese proverb. Uh, so, uh, so a thought, so an action, so an action, so a habit, so a habit, reap a life. I butchered it, but that's the basic idea. There's a lot of wisdom in that. A lot of wisdom. The little bitty moments of every single day, that's where the real work is. So focus on that. What will I do this afternoon? What will I do tomorrow? What will I do the next day? By the end of 2024, going into 2025, you'll look back and say, man, I'm 8% more like Christ this year. No, you won't say that. But, but you will say, God has given me the ability to apply wisdom in my heart. Praise the Lord. It's all to his glory. And that's where we want you to be. It all begins with knowing Christ as your savior. And if that's decision that you haven't made yet, that's the first and most important decision you need to make. And so what we're gonna do in these next few minutes, this is our monthly communion, monthly Lord's Supper. This is a symbol of the Lord's sacrifice for us. If you are a believer in Christ, you are invited to it. You do not have to be a member of our local church. However, if you're not a believer in Christ, if that's a decision you haven't made yet, we want you to watch what we do and we want you to ask questions to someone beside you. What does this mean? Why do you do this? And they would love to share with you. We, we, tell, we tell our guys, don't be quiet during communion. If your kids got questions, answer them. If, some, if a guest is here and they have questions, answer them. Because we want everyone to understand the significance of what this ordinance means. Two of my three kids were saved by asking questions about communion. And so that's what it's meant to do. So let's bow our heads and let's begin. Just a moment, I'm gonna ask our, our servants to come forward. I'm gonna ask um, us just to take a moment to think about the text today, think about some of the things that were said. And just remember, as you are taking of the Lord's Supper, it is his very grace that is providing you the strength for it, that is strengthening you. And so let's feed on Christ this morning and his grace. So let's do that now.